powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello there, Duvall Nation. Hi, hey, hello there, everyone. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Derek Duvall Show. I am Derek. I am once again humbled and thrilled that you've chosen to spend another fantastic half hour with me. Full disclosure, you probably can hear it in my voice. Um, I was not entirely sure I would get this episode out in time. I woke up this morning, was running a fever and exhibiting flu-like symptoms. Mrs. Duvall took good care of me, and I'm feeling 50-ish percent better, but definitely not 100%. So juice and rest for me. But then I said, holy hell, I have an episode to finish. So the production of this episode is my Michael Jordan flu game. That's right, folks, you heard me, flu game. Anyways, the Six Nations is over. Wales not only didn't do well, they were beaten in the last game by a team that has not won in five years. Long story short, the WRU has brought shame to their houses and their country. Wales is an elite powerhouse in rugby, and after this tournament, I speak for a lot of hardened Welsh supporters by saying the WRU is a joke right now. We need to clean house from the top down. Mrs. Duval and I just finished season two of Upload, which was absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen it yet, or you haven't seen season one, it's available on Amazon Prime, which, speaking of Amazon Prime, we just finished season one of the show Jack Ryan, which is amazing. John Krasinski is amazing in the role. Um, a funny thing about it, Mrs. Duvall, I said, who's your Jack Ryan? And she says, um, John Krasinski. I said, well, you know, Harrison Ford's mine. And she didn't understand. So anyway, anyway, if you haven't seen Jack Ryan yet, definitely check it out. It's really, really good. So that brings us to episode 48, and boy, do we have a powerhouse waiting for you. Continuing our tribute to Women's History Month, we are now focusing on the category of athletics. Well, this is a real treat. We have on the show Olympic gold medal winner, a member of the 2012 Fierce 5 U.S. Women's Gymnastic Teams, Duval Nation. We have Jordan Weaver on the show. We have so much to cover, so let's just get on with it. Duval Nation, rise to your feet and welcome all the way from Fayetteville, Arkansas, the truly amazing Jordan Weber. Jordan, good morning. Welcome to the show. This is indeed a great honor for me. Oh, it's an honor for me, too. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I like to start my interviews with the same question, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate this crazy COVID-19 world we're living in? Oh my goodness, that's a big question <laughs> to start with. And it's been crazy. I mean, just for every human being, I think it's been a really interesting life challenge. Not not just the simple, you know, stay healthy and don't get COVID, but also just how it's impacted daily life and, and work and um and everything. So um, you know, last year obviously was was crazy, you know, before we had vaccines and testing and all of that, just trying to make it through our, our comp- competition season here at Arkansas. But um, we're, in, we're in a good place now. I'm knocking on wood as we speak. <laughs> but it's, it's been crazy. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of really valuable lessons and life lessons, especially for the athletes that I coach and, and myself included through that this you know difficult, crazy time. Mm-hmm. 
All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, get back to the beginning. It's always best to start there. What was it like for you to grow up in DeWitt, Michigan? Yeah, so I'm cold. <laughs> um, it was cold. Uh, no, but it was, you know, DeWitt is a really a small suburb outside of Lansing. You know, grew up there, lived there until I left for college. And um, that's where I trained. That's where I went to um, high school. And, you know, overall, just, you know, had a lot of support from the community, a lot of support from my family, and which allowed me to reach my dreams and, and reach my goal of making the Olympic team. So I'm super grateful for that. But um, it's, it's interesting now just kind of looking back and when you go on throughout life and you relocate and move to different states, um, going back home always kind of has this like nostalgic feeling. And I always, every time I go back to do it, I just feel, I feel the same as when I was there training and going through all the things that I went through as an elite athlete. But, um, you know, growing up in it was overall re- really awesome, really supportive, and, and was really grateful for the support I had there in that community. So gymnastics has been in your blood from a very young age. Uh, what led your parents to place you in this sport, and what are your early memories of uh, learning the sport and competing? My, I didn't have any other gymnasts in my family. My parents didn't, didn't do gymnastics. My older siblings didn't do it. But when I was younger, when I was about two to three years old, my parents noticed that even as a really young child, a toddler, I had these sort of miniature bicep and quad muscles just naturally. And it was kind of unusual. Like my parents looked at me and they said, well, she kind of already looks like a gymnast. So we might as well put her in a gymnastics class and see how she likes it. So that's literally how I got my start in the sport. My parents put me in a recreational gymnastics class when I was four years old. And I mean, when I tell you the first moment I stepped in the gym, just, you know, the trampoline, the foam pit and and really just um, how fun I thought gymnastics was and the challenge of learning new things and, and doing the conditioning and getting stronger. I loved it, even at a young age of four. And that's kind of what catapulted me into um, a, just a life of gymnastics, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was kind of unusual. I mean, even when my mom was changing my diaper when I was younger, I would, you know, while most kids have to put their hands on their mom's shoulder to have balance and support, I would, I would just stand on one leg, just balancing by myself, which is kind of funny. You can kind of envision that, but, um, but yeah, I just kind of had this like freakish strength and muscle from a young age. How scary are the doubles and the flips and tumbling starting out? <laughs> um, you know, I don't ever remember being super scared. I was a little bit more on the fearless side as a gymnast. Um, but you know, when you're growing up in it and you, start out with obviously easier skills, you know, the things that most people know about gymnastics, cartwheels, back handsprings, backflips, things like that. That's kind of where you start. And then slowly you progress to harder skills. So when you're in it and you're doing it, it doesn't feel that scary because it just sort of feels like you're kind of taking steps up a ladder. But, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, wow, you know, this stuff is actually pretty dangerous. And gymnastics mm-hmm. is probably one of the most dangerous sports that exists. Um, in, in a lot of ways. So it's interesting, you know, now that I'm an adult and I look back and like, you know, it's amazing. I wasn't more scared, but you know, when I was going through it, I was pretty fearless. And, you know, to be totally honest, that's kind of what it requires to reach a high level in gymnastics at such a young age. Do you remember your first floor exercise? Uh, my first routine or first yeah. competition? First competition. Um, I vaguely remember it. I remember where I was and I remember what it felt like just to compete for the first time. And, you know, in gymnastics, you train so many hours a day and so frequently um, that once you do get to go out and perform and compete, it's just a really awesome feeling. 
just being really proud of yourself and proud of your hard work. And it's sort of like a celebration and expression of joy of what you love to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember it feeling like that. And I, you know, from a really young age, was really competitive. So I remember my first meet, I got a 9.0 on bars. And for my first meet, that was pretty good. And I remember feeling like, okay, now I want to get a 9.0 on all of the events on beam and floor and vault. And just, I've always had that that goal-oriented mindset and that competitive drive within me. So I remember feeling like that after my first meet. What does the choice of music come from? Is it you just go through, you know, trial and error or did someone assign it for you? Good question. So I had a, a choreographer who came in and, and choreographed the dance parts of my routine. And so a lot of times it would be a combination of myself, my coaches, and my choreographer choosing the music, talking about what theme I want to do and what fits my style. You know, there are some gymnasts who are a little more graceful and elegant and who can pull off, you know, more of a classical style of music or slower. And then, you know, there's some other gymnasts who have more of a powerful style, dynamic and fast. And so um, it's really just for gymnasts, it's about figuring out what what matches your style um, and what you feel like you can perform the best to. And um, I've always felt like that was a really collaborative effort between me and my choreographer and I always loved my floor teams, but um, you know, now in college gymnastics, what we do is we let our athletes kind of have a say, you know, what do you, what do you feel like you can perform really confidently and really well? And then we kind of give our input and come up with something together. I think that collaboration is actually really powerful. Nice. I was sitting here thinking if I was a gymnast, I would probably do uh, delights groovies of the heart for completely silly reasons. So, <laughs> <laughs> so a vault, uneven bars, balance beam, and, and the floor exercise. What is your favorite to do? You know, growing up, my favorite was always balance beam. And I probably sound crazy saying that because most, um, like the average person, I think, would look at, you know, four-inch piece of wood, four feet off the ground, and think that's probably everybody's least favorite because it's, um, it's the easiest to fall off, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the exact reason why I really liked it. I love the challenge of learning new skills because they're, they are more difficult difficult on balance beam and that process of moving from the low beam up to the high beam for the first time and that kind of adrenaline rush that it gives you I always loved balance beam and then you know while at a competition balance beam is the one that makes you feel I guess a little the most shaky you can notice it a little bit more on balance beam you know that feeling when you hit a routine in competition and stick the landing it's it's like no other. And I always loved that feeling after a really solid uh, beam routine. Um, but as I got older, you know, it was a good competition between beam and floor. I love floor. I love tumbling. I love the performance factor and kind of interacting with the crowd and just, and just smiling. And, you know, the only thing I told myself before my floor team, even, even at the Olympics, I told myself, have fun, just have fun. And so I loved that piece of it. I could really just kind of let it all out on the floor and, and have fun and smile. You mentioned earlier, interact with the crowd. Do you ever get into the zone where everything is just blocked out except for your your head? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what you have to do in gymnastics. It's so You have to be so specific and technically sound and focused that, you know, when you're at a big competition and there's 10 to 15,000 people in the stands um, and cameras everywhere and, and, you know, just so many different distractions. We really, in gymnastics, we sometimes call it, you know, being in the zone or sometimes we call it stay in your bubble your mental bubble and um, not letting anything get in your bubble that does not help you. So that's something I tell my athletes every day. It's something that really worked for me was just kind of zoning in on my own brain and what I needed to do. And just, you know, I, I talked about performing to the crowd and 
you know, that's not necessarily focusing on what the crowd is doing, but just kind of expressing outward with my eyes in performance outside of the four lines that is the floor. So, um, so yeah, you definitely, you know, gymnastics, you have to be so focused and so in the zone in order to be successful. Do you have a pre, um, exercise routine? Yeah. You know, for me, it was a combination of visualizing and kind of walking through my routines and seeing myself do it the way I wanted it to do it in my performance. Um, and then it's a combination between visualizing and then what we call in gymnastics mental cues. So every skill that we do, we have actually a cue, which is basically a shortened, um, I would say correction. So, you know, for example, on a tumbling pass, it might be snap, squeeze, press, you know, just little, little words, little cues that remind your body and remind your brain what you need to do. Um, and literally in gymnastics, we just sort of, we see it in our head and then we repeat those cues over and over again so that it feels normal. It feels just like practice. So uh, without getting too much into the details, that's, that was kind of my pregame routine. And, you know, obviously just like any other athlete, I would listen to music and just stay really, really focused, mm -hmm. but also relax in some ways. You know, if you're too tight and you're too, too focused, then that can actually be hurtful to your gymnastics. So for me, it was a kind of finding that balance between having fun and staying loose, but also being in my zone and, and kind of rehearsing those mental cues over and over again. I asked another athlete, uh, they said they listen to music before they compete. May I ask you what the song you listen to to get you pumped up is? Oh gosh, I don't even remember now. I mean, it's been 10 years. <laughs> I don't remember, but anything upbeat that, you know, got me excited and, and just ready to go. Mm -hmm. So what do you remember feeling when you were chosen to join the USA Women's Olympics gymnastics team? You know, I remember feeling really emotional, really just, you know, for gymnasts, I think, well, for many athletes, I'm sure. But for me, it just felt like that was a goal I had had since I had been nine years old. And, you know, I started gymnastics at four, decided at nine I wanted to be an Olympian. And then at 17 to get named to the Olympic team. You know, it was a, it was that many years of 30 hours plus a week of training and half a day of school and just really never any breaks, no vacations. So, you know, I had to miss out on a lot and just, I had to sacrifice a lot of things that, you know, quote unquote, normal kids get to do. And so I remember feeling, feeling really emotional because I felt like my hard work really paid off so that I could reach that goal. So that was, that was emotional at the same time, I had the feeling, you know, when they announced my name for the Olympic team, I had the feeling of, okay, you made the team. Now you got to go to the Olympics and you got to do your job and represent your, your whole country in the Olympic Games. So there's the pressure that comes with that. And um, so it's kind of a mix of emotions of like, wow, I cannot believe I finally did it and my hard work paid off. And then, okay, you've, you've reached that goal. Now it's time to go and actually fulfill your dreams. For an athlete. Uh, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated must feel absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I realized at the time what it meant. <laughs> I was just, you know, I was, again, I was so in the zone and so focused on gymnastics. I, I remember doing the photo shoot and thinking, oh, this is cool. Um, and then I don't think I actually processed it until like I had the copy of Sports Illustrated in my hand and had my picture on the front. I mean, even now people will send me a copy of that for me to autograph. And it's just, I still can't even believe it sometimes <laughs> that we got to do that. That's awesome. Now, you are a member of the FIAS 5, which I think, by the way, is one of the coolest nicknames ever. Uh, <laughs> what do you remember most for the 2012 Summer Olympics in London? The thing that stands out to me to m the most um, was obviously, you know, the team competition and winning the gold medal with, mm -hmm. with my team. You know, that was 
my number one goal going into the Olympics was to represent Team USA and, and for us to, to come out on top as a team and to be able to, to go do that and perform our best routines under that level of pressure. I just remember feeling so proud of my teammates and, and realizing, you know, standing on that podium, you know, there's, you know, we couldn't have done that alone. You know, that required all five of us to do what we needed to do to prepare the way we needed to prepare to go out and win that gold medal. And that is such a special thing. And I, I don't know if I'll ever have that exact feeling again in life. Um, but that's something that will bond the five of us for, for a lifetime. And so that, that definitely what stands out to me was kind of reaching that pinnacle of success and, and winning a gold medal for our country. Um, but, you know, more than that, I think it was just, you know, finally realizing like this was my dream for so long and I'm, I'm here, I'm at the Olympics and we're in a, the village and I'm meeting Michael Phelps and, and there's just all these Olympians everywhere. It's just such a cool experience. I think um, that's the kind of, that's the part that kind of was just all a blur. And, and looking back, I just remember feeling like, wow, this is so cool. And this is a once in a lifetime thing. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a little break to acknowledge two friends of the show. During this time, refresh your drink, do some nice big stretches and do five, count them five, nice deep breaths. We'll be right back after this. Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovic, aka Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes body ailments i'm gonna go from toes up because i have a lot <laughs> no seriously you laugh but i have so many this body what ailments. happens with age guys and i know and orgasms i'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening i i'm trying henry's trying we're all trying but when orgasming is good it's good basically we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends new episodes out each monday chat, chat soon <laughs> I built it in two days and I didn't even follow any plans. Why waste time? Hold on! Whoa! <laughs> gotcha! Quick kick! I guess I was in too big of a hurry. Remember, anything worth doing is worth planning. If you don't plan, you're out on a limb. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! This is Country Boy for One My Black History. And if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow, and the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMikeHistory.com. Welcome back to the show, Duval Nation. Let's not waste any time and get right back to our amazing interview with elite Olympic gymnast Jordan Weaver. I I was going to ask you about that is, you know, do you get to go out and actually mingle with the other athletes or is it just kind of like, you know, segregated, like, you know, the Americans are here, the British are here and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't really like segregated by country. You know, you're we kind of all intermixed, but we had our little townhouse for, 
um, the American gymnasts. And, you know, for us, we were kept pretty sheltered, I would say. You know, we really only, we would eat, sleep, uh, train, and that's pretty much it until the competition was over. Mm -hmm. You know, the national team staff really wanted to keep us as focused as possible. You know, we weren't even allowed to see our parents when we were over there. Um, And so while we were in the dining hall, that's when we would see the other athletes and sometimes wave. And if we were allowed to, we'd go talk to them for a little bit. But for the most part, we were pretty zoned in and, and really, really focused. And that's, that's what the staff wanted us to do. So it, it later came out, you competed while injured. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, when I was at, when I was in London, I had a, a pretty bad stress fracture in my right shin. Um, how did you manage to pull through that? That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I don't even really know <laughs> how I did that. Um, you know, it was, it was difficult because, you know, it's hard to finally reach that, that top level of the sport. And then I felt it forming in between the Olympic trials and when we were actually in London, um, it was definitely something that was really painful, but I just kept telling myself, you know, this is the Olympics and, and I wasn't going to quit, um, easily. So I just did the best I could to, to fight through the pain and, Um, you know, to be honest, once I was actually competing, you know, I raised my hands and flew to the judges. Um, I was just kind of overwhelmed with adrenaline and I didn't really feel anything, but the most difficult part for me was training, you know, because I could feel it and it was hard for me to get through a practice and, um, do all of the numbers that I needed to do on the event to to feel really confident and prepared. And I think, more than more than the pain, it, it affected my confidence a little bit because I didn't feel physically 100%, which then affected my my mental um, my mental game a little bit. So your team wins the gold medal. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Take us through accepting the medal and hearing the national anthem playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of described the feeling a little bit of just you know thinking about my teammates, and I remember having this the biggest smile on my face, like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever, and we we really actually did it. Um, and standing up on that podium and and receiving the gold medal, it was just so surreal. That's really the best word I can use to describe it. It was surreal. It was um, it was what we had dreamed about. It's it was our number one goal going into London and traveling there, and. Um, and we, we accomplished it. And I remember just feeling really proud, um, to represent not only myself, but my team and my, my country. I mean, that is such a huge thing to be able to say. And, um, just, just was really excited. That's awesome. So after the Olympics, I mean, you guys are practically rock stars, heroes, I'm sure a media, a media blitz tour and what have you. What do you remember meeting, uh, president Obama, you and my second guest to do so. (laughs) Um, yeah, so we were traveling around the whole country on a post-Olympic tour and performing and, and we took a little detour and went to Washington, D.C. And, and visited the White House, which was really cool. And um, we only got to talk to President Obama for a few minutes, but that was, that was one of the cooler things that I got to do. For That's sure. awesome. Do you get to, uh, you say, obviously you travel around meeting the media, do you get to meet like Oprah or anything like that? Or um, I've never met Oprah. Okay. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Um, but you know, we got, we got to meet a lot of really awesome people and, you know, we got to go to the MTV VMA awards and, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking to Taylor Swift and Rihanna <laughs> and like all these really cool celebrities. And it's like, when you meet them in person, you realize like they're actually people and they're actually yeah. normal people kind of like me. They're just really popular. <laughs> and, um, that was just a cool experience to kind of feel like one of those celebrities for a little while and, 
um, you know, just really got to have a lot of fun and celebrate, you know, all of the hard work that we put in, you know, from early childhood on to that, to that exact moment. It was just, it was kind of a whirlwind, but just really, really fun. What did you do with your gold medal? Um, I mean, it sits in its little case and uh, I keep it somewhere hidden in my house for safety and pull it out sometimes, but um, mostly just it stays hidden in its little case. Do you, is it like people come over like want to see it? They're like, hey, can I see you gold medal? You just go pick, pull it out and show it to them? Oh, for the first couple of years, I got asked that a lot. But now, I mean, I don't even remember the next, the last time somebody asked me to see oh, it. Wow. Um, but, but yeah, That's occasionally cool. it happens. So what attracted you to psychology as a major at UCLA? I mean, well, obviously sports and, and I think gymnastics especially, um, it requires a lot of just mental toughness and it requires a lot of mental focus. And I got really interested in kind of how I could harness my, I guess, com- competitive edge using my brain as a gymnast and how I could be so dialed in mentally with visualizing and cues and all these things that helped me be a successful athlete. I got really interested in that. Uh, even throughout high school, I would read books about, you know, the power of the mind and psychology and things like that. So I knew that I wanted to study that in college. And at first I wanted to be a sports psychologist and, you know, like many people, my goal for my career changed a lot throughout the years of college and from sports psychologist, then I wanted to be a leadership coach. Um, I worked with some leadership coaches and saw kind of how they could impact the, the business world with some of the things that I learned in sports. Um, and I've always been really fascinated, not only about the power of the mind, but also about personality types and why people think and behave and react the way they do and, and, you know, how people interact with each other and that interpersonal piece of it too. So I wanted to be a leadership coach. And then, and then I started coaching college gymnastics and realized that, you know, that kind of encompassed all of the things that I was interested in psychology, sports psychology, leadership coaching, it's, it's all of it. And it also incorporates the thing that I love, you know, the, one of the things I love most in the world, which is gymnastics. So it's really cool, you know, kind of how psychology led me to, to my career now, but um, it's still something I'm constantly learning about, reading books about, and just really interested in. Uh, which brings me to my next question, and I hope it's okay to ask this. Simone Biles made headlines in the last Olympics by shining a massive spotlight on an athlete's mental health. Uh, do mm-hmm. you feel that there's never been that much of a focus on the mental and physical toll of competing at the highest level? Well, I mean, I can speak to gymnastics specifically. I think, you know, as gymnasts, we're ha- we have to be so serious and so specialized and train so many hours for at such a young age. And that's really difficult. And, you know, we're, we're sort of taught in, in the world of gymnastics, I think historically, you know, gymnasts have been taught to sort of, put your emotions to the side, just put your head down, work, be disciplined, do what you're told and you'll reach your goals. And so, and, and with, with all of that, there's really not a, a huge focus on the mental health piece of it because, you know, when I was going through stuff, my, my solution and what I was taught to do was just to push through it and shove it down and kind of compartmentalize things, which, you know, can be healthy sometimes and unhealthy other times. And so I would say, in elite gymnastics, there's not a huge focus on, mental health, which is, you know, kind of what led me to want to be a coach now. And obviously I'm not in elite gymnastics or in college collegiate gymnastics. And, but it's kind of inspired me and fueled me to, to make a space for that in my program and make sure that I'm creating the most healthy environment for our student athletes to grow, not just as gymnasts, but also as people. And that involves mental health as well. 
Which brings me to the next question too. University of Arkansas, that's fantastic. Uh, how challenging has it been for you to take on the head coach role? Um, you know, every single day is a challenge, and I anticipate it'll be that way for my entire career. And that's exactly what attracts me about you know being a head coach in in the NCAA is just the you know every team is different and every athlete is different, and it's it's a challenge for me to figure out how I can help them grow as people and use gymnastics and use the sport as a tool for teaching them life lessons and so um you know honestly when I keep that as my number one focus I feel like I can handle any of the other challenges you know what I was really nervous about when I took this job at a young age was sort of the office things like managing a budget and just little things that you know I had never done before but you know I think with the right attitude and just a lot of confidence and and not not just confidence, but confidence paired with a lack of ego. That's what's helped me be successful, I think, in this role and helped me learn a lot quicker was just, you know, I ask a ton of questions. I When I don't know things, I don't pretend that I know them. And I work to figure them out. And I keep my student athletes as my number one focus and their mental and physical well-being um, at the forefront. And that, that's helped me figure it out a lot faster. And um, and I get to just wake up and do what I love every day. With last year, obviously, you know, schools were shut down and such. Did that affect scholarships in any way? A little bit. So, you know, last year with COVID, um, athletes in the NCAA were given the opportunity to opt out of the season um, without, you know, risking not having their scholarship, their year of scholarship. So mm -hmm. last year, you know, every, every athlete was awarded a, another year of eligibility. Mm -hmm. And then the seniors, who we now call COVID seniors from <laughs> last year, we're able to come back another year on scholarship with another year of eligibility. So we actually had two out of our three seniors come back and, and do a whole other year of, of college gymnastics this year because of COVID. So it's definitely been interesting and, but I'm, I'm glad that they didn't, they didn't have to feel that pressure of I have to compete this year if they didn't feel comfortable. Was that a um, NCAA rule or is that a, just a university by university? And that was an NCAA um, oh. policy. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Do you ever uh, go to YouTube, watch your past performances? Sometimes. <laughs> Not is often, it, but sometimes. Is it nostalgia or do you, do you go back through, do you criticize or? You know, I would say a little bit of both. Now that I'm a coach and um, I, I do, a, I coach in a lot of different ways, but with technique, I sometimes look back and criticize my technique and things like that. But um at the same time, when I watch old videos, I think, I can't believe I did that. I still can't believe that I did that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the nostalgia piece for me. And, um, you know, I always loved competing and going back and watching it is always just special. Uh, with that said, the spotlight of the entire world, you know, has been watching your accomplishments. What advice do you give the young girls who will be taking up the mantle of elite gymnastics in the future? You know, I think as long as you love it and and you love what you do, you can, you know, there's going to be times that are tough. There's going to be a lot of sacrifices, and that's kind of what comes along with trying to be the best of the best in what you do. Um, but if you find a way to, to love it and have fun with it and enjoy it, then I think that will that will take you very, very far. So I think that's, that was probably, you know, among many things that gymnastics taught me and, and I would tell younger athletes, I would say just, keep loving it. And, and it's okay. If you don't love it anymore, um, then you, you find the next thing that you love. You know, I think a lot of gymnasts are kind of taught, you know, you, or once you set out for that goal, it feels like if you don't love it anymore, then you can't stop and you can't quit 
or you can't try something different. Um, but I just encourage people, you know, to keep loving it, keep finding ways to enjoy it. And that will help you get through those really tough days when you're tired and you don't feel like doing it or, um, you know, maybe, you know, something's going on, but it's easier to push through when you have a goal and you have a, a, a love for what you do and it helps make the process a lot more fun. Hmm. So what sort of things do you do to wind down, relax? Yeah, I, I got a dog during COVID. So that's been really Aww. fun. Um, she's a big uh, rescue dog, Brindle, and she's really sweet. And so I love to walk my dog. It's kind of like a mental break for me. I leave my phone at home and go out and walk my dog. Nice. Um, so that's really nice. And just, you know, whenever I get the chance to be able to see my family and spend time with them, and I would say those are kind of the main things. That's awesome. So that being said, what does the future hold for you? I mean, right now I'm, I'm working towards building a championship winning program. I mean, that's, that's my goal. Obviously I want to, like I said before, have the healthiest environment that I possibly can here at Arkansas for athletes to thrive and to grow as both people and athletes. So, you know, I think if we do that, we do it the right way, then this will become a championship program. I think we have all of the right resources we need and, and, and people that we need here to make that happen. It's just about, you know, building and, and continuing to take steps forward in that direction. So hopefully that's in the future for me and um, just continuing to, to, to love what I do. Awesome. Uh, as we start to wind things down, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Uh, well, probably Twitter and Instagram. It's Jordan with a Y underscore Weaver. Um, and then also in our, our gymnastics program, Arkansas, our, our Instagram and Twitter um, handle is Razorback Gym, all one word. And so that a lot of times there's some fun stuff on there, some great content, and they can follow our team. That's nice. I end my interviews with my absolute favorite question. The question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? Oh, my gosh. That's a really hard question to just bring on me. <laughs> just be kind to each other. Just be, be a kind person out in the world. And help each other out, support each other and have empathy. I think we, everyone could hear that message right now and have a little bit more of that in the world we live in today. And that's what I try to do every single day. Outstanding. Jordan, again, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on. I know you're extraordinarily busy, but uh, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. You're welcome. Best of luck to you in the future. Okay. Thank you. Right, have a good one. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 48 of the Derek Duvall Show. I want to thank the absolutely amazing Jordan Weber for coming on the show. I know all of us wish her every continued success for years to come. We have another Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies coming out this week, so be sure to keep your eyes peeled at DerekDuvallShow.com or all of our social media channels. We'll be building up to our Academy Awards episode, so I hope you all enjoy that. I am going to go close my eyes and start to feel better. Believe me, this is bug I've caught really knocked me clean on my butt. So on behalf of the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I say to each and every one of you, be safe, be well, and for the love of God, get the vaccine. See you when I am better, planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.